Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In its second minute, the hate rose to a frenzy. People were leaping up and down in their places and shouting at the tops of their voices in an effort to drown the maddening, bleating voice that came from the screen. The little sandy-haired woman had turned bright pink and her mouth was opening and shutting like that of a landed fish. Even O'Brien's heavy face was flushed. He was sitting very straight in his chair, his powerful chest swelling and quivering as though he were standing up in the assault of a wave. The dark-haired girl behind Winston had begun crying out, Swine! 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 And suddenly she picked up a heavy news-speak dictionary and flung it at the screen. It struck Goldstein's nose and bounced off. The voice continued inexorably. In a lucid moment, Winston found that he was shouting with the others and kicking his heel violently against the rung of his chair. The horrible thing about the two minutes' hate was not that one was obliged to act a part, but, on the contrary, that it was impossible to avoid joining in. Within 30 seconds, any pretense was always unnecessary. A hideous ecstasy of fear and vindictiveness. A desire to kill, to torture, to smash Faces in with a sledgehammer seemed to flow through the whole group of people like an electric current, turning one even against one's will into a grimacing, screaming lunatic. And yet the rage that one felt was an abstract, undirected emotion, which could be switched from one object to another like the flame of a blow lamp. My friends, Agitators Anonymous, episode 130 is my long-promised discussion, dissection, dissemination, and any other D you can imagine, of 1984, George Orwell's seminal novel. Um, I've promised to do this, uh, you know, over however many episodes, but it's quite the undertaking, um, quite the rereading, trying to sort of figure out, uh, to delve through the many myriad of thoughts that you have on reading what is one of the most visceral, uncompromising, grim, and truth be told, dark books you will ever read that most people quote or most people discuss, I sense without having 
read it or reread it. Maybe I'm being ridiculous there. But Agitators Anonymous, episode 130, my friends, is George Orwell's 1984. It will, of course, contain my, um, how can we say, my references to various things that I think are happening right here, right now. Every generation that has read it has um, different resonances. Um, it resonates within elements of their society that they see around them very clearly. And these come and go. But 1984 remains. So, so you can support the show on patreon.com slash Alan Averill, A-V-E or I-double-L. You can follow me on Nemthiang underscore primordial or primordial underscore official. This weekend, primordial is playing two shows in Wren. Um, on the very, very slim off chance that you're listening to this and you live in Ren, you go, oh, I did not know that. Well, come along. Lots of cool bands, including Aggressor and Fen. And then the following weekend, we have the um, Hamburg Halloween Bash, which has Witch Hazel, Night Demon, the others, uh, loads and loads of great bands, Portrait. Um, it's going to be really, really a lot of fun. And then the day after the Sound Festival in Belgium, we are playing with the very exciting Zeal and Ardor and... Um, Ruins of Everest. Um, going to be great. Right then. So, like I said, I've been promising this one for a long time. An overview of George Orwell's 1984. I did start it before, and I approached it more like my Heavy Metal Heroes podcasts, um, which are, you know, randomly infrequent and unpredictable. Um, a bit like I did the one with H.P. Lovecraft, for example, with a sort of a timeline and a discussion of Orwell's life and, you know, his childhood and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I re-listened to that one that I sort of gave up on about 15, 20 minutes in, and I decided that the tone wasn't really right. Um, what we're here to try and discuss is 1984, um, a look at the sort of underlying themes and do they have resonance in today's society? Um, and so, therefore, it sort of makes no sense to go back into when Orwell was 12, he lived here and all that kind of thing. Um, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to create a sort of a timeline to discuss this. Um, of course, his life is really fascinating on its own um, before we get to this, which is basically his deathbed novel. And I'll get to that as well. But it, when you know this about his life you can sort of feel it through the pages. Um, you can feel he's just basically heading out the door with that middle finger exposed, going, right, fuck you all, here's my last shot, take it. Um, and what a taking it is, because it's a brutal, brutal, um, it's a brutal, brutal right hook, it's a brutal, brutal shot to the guts, whatever you want to call it. Um, Orwell volunteered to fight in the Spanish Civil War against the fascists, for example, Um just as some background to the guy, he was shot in the neck, which he never really recovered from. He had a kind of a life, a sickly lifetime. He never seems to have been um, healthy. And I think that this does color his work, a sort of pallid, sweaty, pale kind of color. Um, it colors his writings and he never quite recovered. I'll come back and forward into some of those things throughout this. But he went to the Spanish Civil War. He was a massive critic of the Stalinist Soviet, Soviet system. Soviet system? Say that quickly. At a time when many uh, Western intellectuals seemed to be kind of enamored with it. Um, looking at you, George Bernard Shaw. Um, and 
an awful lot of what, say, for example, Animal Farm and as it continues into 1984 are sort of inspired by our... For example, when he went to the Spanish Civil War, what he thought was the most distressing thing was that how the left sort of um, fell into infighting and fighting within each other. And he sort of realized that this sort of seemed to encapsulate all uh, traditional socialist systems. And therefore, they ended up verging into the form of authoritarianism that Stalinism um, represented. So he finds almost all of it reprehensible. I would advise reading Animal Farm along with 1984. Together they make good companion pieces. Um, also The Road to Wigan Pier, Keep the Aspidistra Flying, or of course, I mean, they're all worth a read, but Animal Farm, of course, is his other most firm, famous work. Um, I suppose these days they won't be considered so. Um, again, a rapier-sharp takedown of the Soviet system. But 1984 is all other kinds of dark. It's a really fucking dark book. Um, you may have sort of heard it. And I think people, it, 1984 is a strange book that I think people discuss and in dispatches and maybe don't really delve into to get their hands deep into the muck of what it is. Um, but it's other kinds of dark. So like I said, rather than do a timeline of his life, I'll try and go through some of the impressions of the book on a rereading and of course try and address so sort of cliches that surround the book, or at least the narrative um, cliches of discussion that surround the book, I felt somehow that's partly become a cliche to reference 1984, um, uh, which is a shame, as in um, often, sadly, and sometimes it seems to be people on the... This is what I noticed lately. Maybe it was different 10 or 20 years ago. I remember reading the book in the 90s, and the tone of it was very different. It felt like um, the percentage of people who were sort of that generation, at least uh, I remember handing the book around to different people to read. And the discussion was like completely open on the table about um, for anybody who seemed to be sort of alert to what might be the perils of this incoming authoritarian system. Of course, we were younger, so we're a bit more naive and headstrong and full of um, other sort of, um, you know, flowing post-adolescent hormones or the idealism of being 20-something. But at the same time, it was open. There wasn't really a left-right axis on how to view the book. But I sense right now there kind of is. And often, sadly, it seems to be how can we say people on the left or the new left, as I keep saying, not the old left, like I said, of which I um, feel part of, um, but the new left and um, people who maybe socially sit easier with elements of what seems like encroaching authoritarianism in our society, um, who don't see or don't want to see the negative sides of technology. Um, they often roll their eyes at the mention of 1984 as in, oh, yeah, of course, everything's Orwellian, Alan. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Oh, Orwell, blah, blah, blah. And when you dig down to it, down into it, you realize that it's a sort of a cliche from both sides. It's a cliche um, from the side warning about the incoming, you know, technocratic um, surveillance authoritarian state, which I think is fairly self-evident. And those who are sort of pushing back against the kind of people they think are, um, you know, um, worried about those kind of things, i.e., you know, new left, new right, alt-right kind of axis, and that there are people who will push back on Orwell's mere mention because they've heard that somebody in the alt-right has mentioned it. Um, whatever all these things mean, um, very difficult to get a handle, I think, realistically on them because they're so fucking nebulous. Um, but... The people who don't really want to see, I think, 
the negative sides of the encroaching technological state. They often roll their eyes as I said, oh, yeah, everything is Orwellian. Of course, mostly, um, as I said, from people who've never read the book, um, as take it in now and really digest it. And that's a hell of a lot of darkness to deal with. Um, and I think, you know, of course, statistics on who actually reads are, uh, I guess, they're way down. I can, you know, I don't know them off the top of my head, but I would imagine they are way down. Um, or, you know, the, the, the film 1984, which is, a, I think, a great depiction of the movie, is quite old now. And I don't think it's been, it's really enjoyed a sort of resurgence in cinematic terms. But then again, I'm not a cinema guy, so maybe maybe I haven't a fucking clue. Well, you know, obviously I don't. That's what you're doing, listening to Agitators Anonymous, because it's my, um, me dealing with those very words, not having a fucking clue. Anyway, um, what the fuck am I talking about? Well... Even with the main protagonists in the book, um, very few have narrative arcs um, that you would recognize in sort of modern storytelling, so to speak. And, and all of these arcs, if they do exist, they fill you with nothing less than dread almost at all times. Um, so it gets kind of shot down as a cliche to mention from people who often haven't read it, who are tiring here tired of hearing about Orwell in the context of modern society um, who think it's just a go-to claim by the alt-right. Maybe something like this. Maybe something like this. Um, maybe it's just the conversations I have. But that's kind of how I view it. That Orwell is a kind of football sometimes kicked about by two teams who don't really know the rules of the game. Um, maybe. Oh, wow. Awesome. Sorry, George, wherever you are, for um, trying to uh, squeeze in a football analogy there. Um, they try and play down the book's evident resonance for the modern age, but it's all in there, and that's what I'm going to try and have a look at. Um, the joke is it's a warning written by Orwell, but, you know, uh, it's a warning written by Orwell to us in the modern day, but it's taken as a manual, a guide, a go-to guide by modern authoritarians, whether they are, oh, let's say them, the Trudeaus or Ardennes or Macron or, for example... Um, but couldn't you say the same about Machiavelli the Prince or, you know, whatever else? So people, of course, rush to try and dampen down those comparisons. But do they exist? The truth is, of course, complex and resides in the grey air, which you're tired of hearing about me. But certainly when you read something like, for example, let's say, and this is what I'm going to do throughout this podcast, is refer to things that seem somewhat innocuous in the modern day and see. It's up to you to maybe try and see, does this hold some resonance within... Um, Within 1984, you see something like PayPal wanting to fine people. They did walk this back, but they wanted to fine people um, or stop their ability to use and make a living on the platform. But they wanted to fine people for misinformation, for what they decide to be misinformation by said user on other platforms. Um, there's few words you can use for the control of information that better describe it than Orwellian. And this is exactly what happens within the novel. The party... Um, which is Big Brother, the party control the dissemination of information. Two plus two equals five, if they say it does. Just as we have seen in many authoritarian regimes of the modern age, I just watched, for example, a documentary about North Korea and how the ruling family who came into power or were placed in power by the Chinese in the early 1950s um, basically rewrote the country's origin story. They have rewritten their role in world wars. They basically have rewritten history, so to speak, and their place within it. And it's taught, it's indoctrinated into children from a very, very, very young age. It is straight out of Orwell's dystopia. 
One of the first things to note is that I guess Orwell considered considered himself um, an old school socialist, a libertarian. But when I say that, I kind of mean French rebellion old, that old. He developed a deep hatred of the Stalinist and communist system. And even though the Big Brother surveillance state described in 1984 bears, of course, hallmarks of what we now see as um, fascism, but also the communist state in this regard, there is, in my opinion, uh, I suppose, some misconceptions when people say, for example, oh, Putin is behaving like a fascist. Well, he is, but he's also behaving like a communist in the classic Stalinist mold, even though I suppose he's becoming more czar-like. And there's no getting away from the reality. An animal farm is the ultimate indictment of that system. It's, of course, an uncomfortable truth for people on the left, and maybe that's why they push back against the description of certain elements of modern society as Orwellian, because um, they know that he was sort of describing what their utopia can turn out to be. But this is, in my opinion, what he meant. So let's examine those words, surveillance state. 1984 is set in a sort of futuristic London. I suppose on some level it's what you would call a kind of grotty steampunk London. But um, it's a futuristic dystopian state um, of constant war. Alliances formed, broken, made again. Um, Its subjects live in a rotten, grimy, brutalized, shattered, filthy world, which is almost devoid of beauty. And I think by the end of the novel, you will feel devoid of hope. And that's one of the reasons, I suppose, why it's kind of a hard read, because um, what maybe in my sort of uh, teenage years or my early 20s-something, as I said, idealism, you were able to sort of, um, how can we say, get over some of the very visceral um, English, some of the very... um, aggressive language within it because you were sort of seeking out the idealism of the of the of that moment in your life but it is a very visceral novel it's it's dark in a really 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 extreme way the front of the war at this moment is the equatorial front and it's perpetual war and it shifts and move eurasia oceania the main protagonists um within these wars um who the party is fighting who they aren't fighting uh, aren't fighting constantly shifting and moving the public never really knowing the truth if there is one when that's of course the main thrust is that there isn't one and you can feel in the novel Orwell on his deathbed with tuberculosis is really having at it this is his final novel his final say and he's bringing the fucking darkness to the table. I know I keep saying that, but it's a it's an understatement. It's a starkly depressing, shocking read, and few of the characters have any redeeming fe- features. Even when they seem to, almost Orwell almost scolds them for their lack of morals or lack of insight. The main character, Winston, um, considering the words, surveillance state that I just said, um, is watched all day via a screen in his shabby apartment. He's woken and informed whenever Big Brother, the the face that you would see in the movie, um, tells him to wake. He's um, given his two minutes of hate while he swills his rotten coffee in his grubby little apartment. Um, and then, you know, you just pause for a moment when you're reading it and you drift off and you consider your own desktop, your own screens. You know your phone is listening to you right. It's listening to me recording this podcast um, you know, under Obama, you know the story. Where is it? The Patriot Act. 
they collected so much info on the public they didn't really even know what to do with it. Did they catch any terrorists? I think the truth is they didn't. Could we honestly say right now in 2022, we don't live in a technological surveillance state where we are constantly tracked by apps and on our phone um, or viewed by our um, cameras? I don't think we could. One up to Orwell. One up to Orwell. The frightening thing, he reflected for the 10,000th time as he forced his shoulders painfully backward with hands on hips. They were gyrating their bodies from the waist, an exercise that was supposed to be good for the back muscles. The frightening thing was that it might all be true if the party could thrust its hand into the past and say of this or that event, it never happened. That surely was more terrifying than mere torture and death. The party said that Oceania had never been in alliance with Eurasia. He, Winston Smith, knew that Oceania had been in alliance with Eurasia as short a time as four years ago. But where did that knowledge exist? Only in his own consciousness, which in any case must soon be annihilated. And if all others accepted the lie which the party imposed, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past, ran the party slogan. Controls the future. Who controls the past, controls the future. Who controls the present, controls the past. And yet the past, though of its nature alterable, had never been altered. Whatever was true now was true from everlasting to everlasting. It was quite simple. All that was needed was an unending series of victories over your own memory. Reality control, they called it. Newspeak. Doublethink. Doublethink. These are the words that you constantly hear um, discussed about 1984. Um, what does that mean? It just means, um, like, I had been watching um, a documentary about Belarus last night. Um, I mean, in 1984, just just to hop back a sentence, um, what he's referring to here is the malignant bureaucracy of the Soviet state, a paranoid system where no one really spoke their mind for fear they were being watched, listened to. The party was and is everywhere. Um, in old East Germany, the Stasi were so numerable, they put them at like one in four people were working for the state. And these are the state apparatus. In the, in the book, um, the children join a spy camp where they're taught to spy on their parents. And like I said, I just watched a documentary about Belarus last night, journalists going undercover, and even in small bars, no one would speak to them. They were, are you, are you a member of the party? Um, Lushenko had just ordered his troops to fire on protesters, killing, I think, 12, injuring more and arresting many, many more. Do we describe Belarus as Orwellian? Of course, I think it's the ultimate expression of what Orwell would have seen as um, the as where the utopian um, Stalinist communist state ends. Could we describe, let's say, be, let's be a little bit more generous. Could we describe Ireland as Orwellian? No, uh, and yes. Certainly during lockdown, I would have said so. Police roaming the streets looking for people outside their five-kilometer living radius. Just as in 1984, there is a forbidden zone where people are not allowed to go. Do our phones track us everywhere? Is every street and every city being filmed at all times? The truth is yes. Um, you really have no privacy. And this is the thing that Winston longs for in the novel the most, just to live a simple private life. But every morning Winston's screen clicks on and updates him on the war, but invites him, as I said, to his two minutes of hate. Big Brother, Big Brother controls all information, all truth um, and, 
as I said, he who controls those, controls the past, controls the future, etc. Winston, as in one of our first meetings with Winston, he's gleefully cheering on the bombing of refugees in the collectivist hate sessions. War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. You've probably heard all that before, right? War is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. You've probably heard bands that you like um, quote that or put that into lyrics. In fact, I'm probably sure I've put it into some primordial lyrics somewhere or other. Who knows? Um, you've, of course heard all those before maybe you didn't know they were from 1984 um, like I said watching the documentary for example on North Korea every morning the same music begins in Pyongyang there are speakers in the street and the songs just start instantly venerating the leader um, so you can't even go about your day without hearing this um, street to street all day the channels broadcast propaganda about the war with the Americans creation myths written by the ruling family in the 50s um we are, of course, better in the West. I'm not being that hyperbolic that I suggest that we're all on the level of North Korea. We are. But, as I said, before we don't... We don't share a common version of the news anymore. It's highly editorialized. It's specific to your algorithm. But if you just look at CNN... C, huh? CNN... I'm adding an extra N there. CNN and MSNBC in the United States... They're hawking for war, actively pushing us closer to nuclear war. Biden is upping the ante. The moronic figure of Liz Truss, who is gone now, I think. Sad day for Klaus Schwab, but she's gone, I think. Who's special word for, uh, what can we say? Who the fuck is this woman? But Jesus, she was on some TV show saying, yes, I will press the button. Um, I've read leftist climate change bloggers writing in big publications and you could imagine them tip-tapping in a you know, local cafe on their little Apple Mac or whatever. Um, could a small nuclear war be good for the climate? Of course, at the heart of the most extreme end of the climate movement is profound anti-humanism. As who pollutes? People. So kill them all. There's your hyperbole for you. But where are the statesmen and women? Back in the 1980s, just to digress for a moment, but back in the 80s, we as kids were terrified of nuclear war. It was... Right. It was drilled into us. Millions of people protested in the streets, nuclear arms, proliferation treaties, etc. And Brezhnev uh, knew this. He knew this, but it took Gorbachev after him. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Along with Reagan. Oh, Reagan. Oh, wasn't he like a Nazi? Oh. Yeah, well, say whatever you want. But Gorm, Bachoff and Reagan um, got together and they called some kind of halt to the arms race and um, sort of to stand things down. And and this is what thawed the Cold War, brought about the fall of communism, etc. Uh, but right now, by all accounts, we are nearer to nuclear war at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, but without anyone seemingly pushing back against it. For example, like at the time Kennedy did against the um, you know, the military-industrial complex, I suppose that was prior to the name being formed for it. But like I said, Khrushchev knew, and there was peace talks, or at least there was some contact to try and develop those. And now our political class seem to want nothing more than perpetual war in Ukraine so they can pour weapons into it. Um, you know, just like Big Pharma made its coin during the pandemic, the military-industrial complex is looking at a solid 20-year in war, war in Ukraine to pour arms into. Sorry, I digress. I said I was going to talk about the end of the world on Tuesday um, when I was talking about heavy metal. Uh, and sorry, Orwell, sorry, Orwell, I'm using your, I'm using your, walking on your grave here. But something is completely different to Afghanistan. As bad as that was, the threat of nuclear missiles being used didn't seem to be in play. But now... Where are the people calling for steady hands and for us to pull back from the edge? It feels like our modern political class are not only historically illiterate, but lack any sense of statesmanship. I digress, but you knew I was going to do that. Anyway, anyway, double think. What's the point? So Big Brother says two plus two equals five, then it is. Take a broader look at our society in the recent attack on STEM, uh, which is the attack on STEM subjects, biology, science, um, well, of course, science we know and can see can be bought um, or sponsored to have a certain outcome. But fundamentally, science is still science. Um, but maths, for example, as I said before, of course, most of our mathematical systems we have inherited, eh, they ain't European. They come from the Middle East. Um, but this critical theory concept that maths is just a racist construct. Don't believe me? Follow that paper trail. Do a bit of searching into what that means. Search, attack on STEM, and you will find people saying, why can't two plus two equal five? Maths, one of the pivotal structures of civilization, um, well, is no doubt under attack. The same with biology. This is, to me at least, Orwellian doublespeak, plainly. Um, I say this is so because it is so. The party which rules overall in the novel says it is so. And who is the party? Um, is this now the tech platforms who clearly am without allowing people any recourse to judicial rights who decide what information can and cannot be discussed or shared, whether it's, I don't know, the Hunter Biden laptop story or um, Russian um, meddling or whatever you want to say, or dissent from, for example, the, you know, the narrative surrounding COVID, the lab leak theory that once would have had you kicked off all platforms is now a commonly held theory. Is this 
I don't know, is this Orwellian double think? I would say it has echoes of it. Any authoritarian system that seeks to control the flow of information, we could call this Orwellian. But what I am struck by on a rereading, um, being older, is how vitriolic the novel is. The stench of London, cabbages and overflowing love Lavatories, lavatories, yeah, I'm thinking about laboratories. Lavatories emanates from the page, sex is outlawed, um, which, you know, the atomization of modern society and remote living edges into that on some level. Um, uh, you know, does meta, the concept of meta itself, make sex redundant? Um, these are things, I suppose, that, you know, rattle around my um, empty skull. But there's rationing in the novel. There's an anti-sex league and they march through the streets. One thing that got me more on a rereading was Orwell's, he literally is attacking everyone and everything. 1984 is a remorseless book. It's like a revenge album. There's not a hint of harmony or humanity. Orwell's literal shock and awe. Everything is ugly. Public executions are entertainment. Is modern society so different? Do we not tune into Sky News the days after the invasion of Ukraine and watch retired armor generals postulate over maps, push boundaries around, colors here, colors there, and describe war in abstract terms to get around the fact that people are being killed. This morning I watched a documentary about Al-Shabaab, the Islamic terrorist group in Somalia. Entertainment or education or both or propaganda? Which is it? In the novel, young people join the spies to learn how to spy on their parents. To know and not to know. To be conscious of complete truthfulness while telling carefully constructed lies. To hold simultaneously two opinions which cancelled out knowing them to be contradictory and believing in both of them, to use logic against logic, to repudiate morality while laying claim to it, to believe that democracy was impossible, that the party was the guardian of democracy, to forget whatever it was necessary to forget, then to draw it back into memory again at the moment when it was needed, and then promptly to forget it again, and above all, to apply the same process to the process itself. That was the ultimate subtlety, consciously to induce unconsciousness, and then once again, to become unconscious of the act of hypnosis you had just performed. Even to understand the word doublethink involved the use of doublethink. Sometimes, indeed, you could put your finger on a definite lie. It was not true, for example, as, as was claimed in the party history books that the party had invented aeroplanes. He remembered aeroplanes. This is Winston now. He remembered aeroplanes since his earliest childhood. But you could prove nothing. There was never any evidence. So... Um, so much of the novel ex almost exists in another dimension, not just, and I don't mean another, oh, breakthrough to another dimension. I don't mean it like that. I mean, um, you could almost smell and feel the novel. Not, it's not just words on a page. It's visceral, physical. It's a stinking read. The plot has three main characters, Winston, Smith, um, Julia and O'Brien. And there are three groups of people, the proles who are the main body of people, the inner party elite and the outer party bureaucrats. Winston is a member of the outer party, a bureaucrat. He meets Julia. They start conspiring to create a world of what she instigates and calls love. This is kind of at her instigation. Um, O'Brien is the other character whom the couple meet. And sort of we wonder, is he a genuine rebel against the party? Um, of course he isn't. He ends up betraying them. Yeah, spoiler alert. But... And the final third of the book is basically Winston being tortured to within, inch, to within an inch of his life. The very, vast, the very last line of the book is, and he loves Big Brother. Um, every generation finds something relevant in the book from 50s, Cold War, 
uh, societies to our own world of, uh, you know, our world of fake truths and misinformation and all this kind of stuff. There's a huge through line that links them all. And that speaks to the sort of enduring truth that um, sort of bubbles up to the surface in 1984 uh, for every decade's readers. And don't forget, um, I like I said, don't forget how ill Orwell was. And I do actually think this sort of affects the novel. Like I said, he got thro- shot in the throat in Spain, which is worth noting. But he seems to have almost, almost been ill, um, sent to sanatoriums to recover. Um, and this, no doubt, colours a lot of his novels and a lot of his views of the world. And they certainly aren't healthy views of the world, I suppose. Um, this is before antibiotics as well. So Orwell has tuberculosis. He's sent to an attempt to recover um, to a strict sanatorium. There's no sitting, there's no standing, no reading, no writing. Um, 1984 has the urgency of a dying man. Um, and, you know, there's a form of this early tuberculosis society where factory factories are surveying their own workers and if they fail tests, they could be whisked away, taken to the rehabilitation unit against their will. Sound familiar? Australia, COVID, China, COVID. Basically, the forced coercion and relinquishing of autonomy and consent um, is to the party at all times. And this has resonance from, you know, those days of Orwell's life. But, but the, the pursuit of... Blah, blah, blah. Come on, Avril. Less caffeine. The pursuit of power had exceeded all moral limits and become an objective in itself. Let me just say that again. The pursuit of power had exceeded all moral limits and become an objective in itself. Um, states one commentator I was listening to discussing 1984, and this sums up a lot of what passes for authoritarianism today for me. Um, you know, I, I, during lockdown or over the last decades or, you know, constantly. Look, I'm a, I'm a man who likes to argue. Um, if you've been listening to Agitators Anonymous, the clue is in the name. And um, people would ask me, people would ask me, why would the state do that? And I would tear my metaphorical hair out. The question should be, why wouldn't a state do that? Why wouldn't they want to, to accrue more power? Just for that reason in itself is the reason. Why wouldn't they use this opportunity to pass new rules that never get democratically scrutinized, issue extraordinary measures, emergency laws without opposition? Why would they not? And the truth is simply history. History dictates that that is true. History is on my side or Orwell's side of viewing the world like that if I can be so bold as to place us on the same side of the metaphorical fence. And this is sad but true. This is what states... Wow, did I really just do that? This is what states, the political class, governments, um, technocrats, the political elite, whatever you want to call it, this is what they do. It's okay, it's maybe not a 100% argument, but I can give you, if I was to sit there and think about it, over a pint or two, 100 examples of states using crisis as an opportunity to enact authoritarian measures over the last, we can just take two decades, and you can give me your... Um, examples of them enacting altruistic um, measures in opposition and we can go toe-toe-toe with what history actually dictates. Well, anyway, it's not to say that this never happens, of course. The world would be a terribly, terrifically dark place if that was, if that was always the case. But 
history dictates a few certain things. And I think Orwell, if I may be so bold, feels the same. He's skeptical of the recording of history. He's an empiricist. What you touch and what you feel. As an old libertarian socialist, Orwell believes in liberty, egalite, fraternity. And by 1984's writing, he believes these values are simply being eroded in all societies and that history is being rewritten. Um, of course, his sights are mainly trained on the Stalinist socialist system, but I think he sees this in his own state and governance, I mean, all states and governance. Could we call Orwell a humanist or a, a, a narco-syndicalist? Um, but he's certainly a supporter of human rights in the most basic sense. Definitely, I think, the right to a free trial, to freedom of speech. Um, and no doubt, no doubt, these are things that are under attack right now, as I said, in our modern technocratic state which encroaches on all of these things. Simply consider the way platforms unperson or cancel someone over you want because you have violated our terms of service. But why, you ask? No one answers. As in this debate, you have no right to a fair trial. Um, and that would have been something that would have... Um, you can read in the pages of 1984, almost like a warning from history... Comrades, cried an eager, youthful voice. Attention, comrades. We have glorious news for you. We have won the battle for production. Returns now completed of the output of all classes of consumption goods show that the standard of living has arisen by no less than 20% over the past year. All over Oceania this morning, there were irrepressible, spontaneous demonstrations when workers marched out of factories and offices and paraded through the streets with banners voicing their gratitude to Big Brother for the new happy life which his wise leadership has bestowed upon us. Here are some of the completed figures, foodstuffs. The phrase, our new happy life, recurred several times. It had been a favourite of late with the Ministry of Plenty. The Ministry of Plenty. Which of your governments have been, have been forming a Ministry of Truth or something along those lines? I would presume they wouldn't just go and call it that, but... The Ministry of Truth is straight out of Orwell. Um, could we call, as I said, Orwell a humanist? Definitely a supporter of human rights. Definitely, I think so. Um, but one thing is for sure, our two main characters, Winston and Julia, uh, don't have anything like a modern hero arc or some... On some level, Winston longs for a simple life, um, but a private life, which is, of course, not possible. But he idealises... He idolizes the concept of art without ever seeming to be able to tap into it. There's one scene where he goes, or one you know um, chapter where he goes to an old secondhand store, and he buys this beautiful notepad, um, and he finds a he finds a fountain pen which is um, there forbidden, and he buys it on the black market, um, but he can't write anything. All he writes is just nonsense. He realizes um, somewhere within his residual memory he has some connection to something he sees as artistic, but he realizes, I think he realizes he hasn't got an artistic bone in his body. Um, but he wishes for a private life, which is what everyone kind of does. You know, um, most people, if you, if asked, would wish for a smaller government um, that left them the fuck alone. And I think that that's also a deep longing of, of Winston in this novel. Um, but of course, it's not possible. Big Brother is everywhere. Um, but the other thing about Winston is he's he's like him. Um, he's a weak and feebled runt of a man. Um, 
And he's full of misogynistic kind of feelings. Um, and even Julia, who seems sort of like free and so on some level, doesn't quite, um, doesn't quite bring them out. And he, Winston calls her a rebel from the waist down. She loves sex and chocolate and makeup and good coffee. But at the same time, throughout the novel, seems frivolous and empty-headed, anti-intellectual. And you could read some sort of um, misogynistic sentiment into that. I suppose most people now would. I'm not sure if that exists, but certainly um, I think Orwell is definitely an equal opportunities hater when it comes to almost everybody in the novel. But what comes across in 1984 even more so is a special kind of place of hatred reserved for the proles, the working class that Orwell on his deathbed seems to be really finished with them. He's given up on them. Um, and he was a person who would have once stood up for them. And that's quite um, a dark sort of realization when you read 1984. He seems to have given up on people, give them beer and porn, and they are fine. It's clearly the message in 1984. Orwell has contempt for them. Every now and again, you are just kind of overwhelmed by the sense that everyone and everything is inherently negative. Every paragraph is ugly. Orwell finds a few green shoots here and there, but they're invariably scorched and burnt by the next page. Um, maybe this is, as I said, his I'm sick, I'm dying, I'm out of here soon, so fuck you all, I have fucking no regrets style parting shot, but it's hard not to find it overwhelmingly bleak. I can see why now people argue about it and don't read it sometimes. Two days of hate, two minutes of hate, a week of hate, two minutes to midnight. Uh, let's have a hate week as promoted by the party. Um, is there any hope in 1984? In truth, Whatever that comes to mean, I think very little. Winston has a small part of his brain left for himself, which he fears losing. But after years of attrition, the party even breaks into that. And like I said, the last third of the novel is basically their demolition of that, bombarding his notions of truth, of self, of freedom. And finally, as I said, the last line, he loves Big Brother. Leaves you certainly with the feeling that Winston's last outpost of resistance was conquered. Was conquered. Two plus two definitely equals five because Big Brother says it is so. Um, and it's it's a read that I would recommend, but it's a dark, it's a dark read. It's a very dark read and I can understand why some people um, sort of approach it with trepidation, maybe. Or maybe it's just easier to discuss something that you haven't read. I don't know. Um, are we right to reference it with abandon? Are we right to feel it resonates with modern society? Are we being over the top and hyperbolic? Certainly, the certainly the um, you know the world of 1984 is not exactly the world we inhabit. Of course not. It is though the world of North Korea and Belarus, for example, and maybe um, you know as I said before in the podcast, um, if you think. If you think it isn't, then you're probably lucky enough to be in a place in the world where you can look out your window and feel like all is calm and go about your business. Um, but as I said before, democracy isn't the default setting for society. It can easily change. And the instruments for its change to authoritarianism exist well and truly throughout all of the societies across this world. They exist within the phone um, you're holding in your hand. They exist within technology that allows you to listen to this podcast. And the needle is constantly moving, at least in my opinion, in, those, in that direction. And while 1984 is a horror novel, it's certainly not a fantasy novel. Um, it's also a warning. And in darkly comedic terms, it feels like an instructional manual to some of our leaders, even though it's devoid of <laughs> a comedy. Um, but it is essential reading if you dare
my friends that is my sort of all over the place take on 1984 um i tried to sort of get into the characters sort of dig down into some of the things that maybe it has resonance now um the truth again is the gray area the truth is the gray area some of it has deep resonance and if you're looking for it you'll see it and if you want to ignore it um you probably can for now if i can be such an asshole i can quote my own lyrics and say you may look away but your children will not well my friends agitators anonymous episode 130 um cheers mr orwell for darkening my day a party member is expected to have no private emotions and no respites from enthusiasm. He is supposed to live in a continuous frenzy of hatred of foreign enemies and internal traitors, triumph over victories and self-abasement before the power and wisdom of the party. The discontents produced by his bare, unsatisfying life are deliberately turned outwards and dissipated by such devices as the two minutes of hate. And the speculations which might possibly induce a sceptical or rebellious attitude are killed in advance by his early acquired inner discipline. The first and simplest stage in the discipline, which can be taught even to young children, is called in new speak, crime stop. Crime stop means the faculty of stopping short, as though by instinct at the threshold of any dangerous thought. It includes the power of not grasping analogies, of failing to perceive logical errors, of misunderstanding the simplest arguments if they are inimical to Ingsoc, and of being bored or repelled by any train of thought which is capable of leading in a heretical direction. Crime stop, in short, means protective stupidity. But stupidity is not enough. On the contrary, orthodoxy, in the full sense, demands a control over one's mental processes as complete as that of a contortionist over his body. Oceanic, oceanic society rests ultimately on the belief that Big Brother is omnipotent and the party is infallible. But since in reality Big Brother is not omnipotent and the party is not infallible, there is a need for an unwearying moment-to-moment -moment flexibility in the treatment of facts. The key word here is black-white. Like so many new speak words, this word has two mutually contradictory meanings. Applied to an opponent, it means the habit of impudently claiming that black is white in contradiction of the plain flack of the plain facts. Applied to a party member, it means a loyal willingness to say that black is white when party discipline demands this. But it means also the ability to believe that black is white and more to know that black is white and to forget that one has ever believed the contrary. This demands a continuous alteration of the past made possible by the system of thought which really embraces all the rest and which is known in Newspeak as double think. And he loves Big Brother. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 